Well, hey, everybody, welcome to week number six of our series this fall that we're calling Creed, as we are together exploring those things that we believe following the path of the Apostles' Creed, and that is exactly what we're doing. I don't know if you know this, but the word creed comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe, and what we're doing is we're using this ancient confession of faith to drive us back to God's word to focus in on the core of what it means to follow Jesus Christ by, by remembering what it is that we believe and that we confess. And each of these weeks, I have been reminding all of us that whenever we confess the creed, it is simultaneously rebellion and allegiance. It is rebellion against the unbiblical and untruthful ideologies of our day while it's also a pledge of allegiance to God and to his kingdom. And as we again in a moment confess the words of the creed, the truths of the creed, I want to remind you that as we do this, we are always simultaneously joining in with God's global kingdom all around the world, the kingdom of God across the centuries for 2,000 years. So if you would just stand with me, and we will together Confess what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today is the final day that we are exploring the second article of the Creed, which is about Jesus. And if you will recall, so far we have looked at his deity, that he is the eternally existing second member of the Trinity. He's God's son. He is the Lord over all. And, and then we've explored his humanity, beginning uh, with his birth, um, following the trajectory of his life on earth, from conception to birth to death uh, to resurrection. You might even say we have gone from Christmas to Easter. But what happens next? And that's what we're gonna look at today. We find this out in the next three lines of the creed that we're focusing on today. Here's this part of the creed. It says, I believe in Jesus Christ, and he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. And what we're gonna be studying together today is what is called the doctrine of the ascension of Christ, his ascension. And there's a key passage that describes this reality for us. It's in the book of Acts, chapter one. It's verses nine through 11. This is what Luke writes. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So what is the ascension? Well, someone has said it is the most important doctrine that you never think about. 
Uh, the ascension itself is actually only narrated for us in a couple of places in the New Testament, but it is a pivotal part of Christ's life and his ministry. It simply refers to what it suggests. You hear it in the word. It refers to Jesus ascending or going up into heaven and then being seated at the right hand of God. Now, if you've read the Bible and if, if you've studied it at all, you, we know it's happened, but it's something we really honestly don't talk about or even think about very much. We, we talk about all the other things that we have been studying in the creed, his birth, his life as we read the gospels, his, his, his death and his resurrection. But after that, we kind of stop usually. We're kind of done. It, it's sort of like after the resurrection, we just think it's over. But the Bible says it's not over. See, after the resurrection, if you stop to think about it, you'll see this, there must be, there has to be another event and that's the ascension of Christ. So why do we overlook it? I think there are at least three reasons and uh, Patrick Schreiner has written a great little brief book on the ascension. I'm indebted to his thoughts in this message and he, he mentions this first one. He says, first of all, it's a little strange. It's just kind of weird. Have you ever tried to envision what happened on that day when Jesus ascended? I mean, what was that day like? Was it sunny? Were there white puffy clouds up in the sky? And when he rose, how fast did he float up into the air? How, how did that happen? Was it, was it really slow, you know, like a balloon? And did they watch him rising kind of like a balloon, you know, where it's like, he's, he's still there. I, I still see him. There, he's still there. Was, was it like that? Or, or did he just like shoot up like a rocket up into the sky really fast? Or was it medium speed? We don't really know. And, and then from kind of a modern scientific perspective, we know that once he left the atmosphere, he couldn't live as a human being. So did God give him like a heavenly space suit? Or was it like the Rocket Man thing or the Up movie? You know, what exactly is going on in the ascension. And we have a lot of questions that the Bible doesn't answer. So let's just be honest, it's kind of strange. It's a little weird. Second, it seems like a bad plan. Now the Bible tells us it's not a bad plan, but think about it this way. Our ultimate goal as Christ followers is what? To be with Jesus, to be in his presence, to see his face and to worship him in the new heavens and the new earth. But he left, he's gone, he's not with us physically. So the question is why didn't he stay? I mean, why did he ascend? And I think the disciples are asking exactly that when, when they were asking in Acts 1, 6, right before what we read, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? You've been raised from the dead. We, we believe you're the Messiah, so let's just do this thing. And he says no. Jesus says, and you can read it in that first 11 verses of Acts, he says, I need to ascend to the Father. So to us, it kind of seems like a bad plan because Jesus leaves. What's the point? And then third, uh, the implications of the ascension are kind of unclear. I mean, why wasn't the resurrection enough? He died and he was raised to life. That's never happened before. It will never happen like that again. Couldn't he just stay? Couldn't he just then establish the kingdom? I mean, the resurrection makes a lot of sense, but the ascension? There's so many questions. And we're not gonna be able to answer them all today because frankly, you guys don't listen quickly enough. That's always a problem I deal with. Um, 
But I wanna try my best to answer uh, those questions by showing you three reasons why the ascension is good news. Here's the first one. If you've got your app, you can write uh, these down. First of all, the ascension is good news because the ascension installs Jesus as our interceding priest. Now that may sound kind of abstract and you know doctrinal, but as I'm gonna show you, it has incredible life-changing relevance and power for you, for your life today, right now. I mean, think about what a priest was. Go back to the Old Testament and you'll see that priests were, were men that God called and set apart and they would go into the tabernacle or the temple. They would go into God's presence. They would go to that place where heaven and earth met. And they went there to represent the people of God to God and God to the people. They went there and as priests, they met with God himself the priests, before they went in, they made sacrifices and they would go into the tabernacle or into the temple. And this is important to keep in mind whenever you read about this, they would be covered with blood, with, with lots of blood. The priest's clothing, we, we skip over this a lot because it's in Leviticus. Um, it included a, a breastplate, uh, something that they wore over their torso. And the breastplate had 12 jewels. You can read about this. It's in the Bible. The 12 jewels represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was just this visual reminder that as they went into God's presence, they were representing God's people. These were mediators, these priests. They were pleading to God on behalf of the people. Now, according to the book of Hebrews, Chapter seven, verses 23 to 25, we have a high priest, and he's a greater high priest. He's a better high priest. He's the best high priest, and he intercedes. He intercedes for us. Listen to Hebrews seven twenty-three to 25. Now, there have been many of those priests since death can prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. That last line is key. He always lives to intercede for them. So when we think about the ascension, we, 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 we tend to you know, think about the journey, Jesus going up into the air, but, but the creed reminds us that he ascended and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father and he sat down, he, he's seated because his priestly work of the sacrifice, giving his life for sins, that's done, that's completed. But he still has work to do and he's always doing that work. His priestly work of intercession representing the people of God before God himself, that continues. And that means this, listen, right now, as our priest, he is praying for us. He has paid the penalty for sin, that's done. He's defeated death, that's done. But his work of interceding for his people continues and aren't, Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? In, in other words, Jesus continues to work in heaven. Well, what's he doing? Well, he's serving, it says in Hebrews, in the true temple and in the true sanctuary. How? Well, he's interceding for you. He's praying for you. He's advocating for you. 
How many of you have uh, seen the 2013 movie, Gravity? Anybody? A number of you have seen it and starred Sandra Bullock, George Clooney, uh, won seven Academy Awards. It's a really great movie, I think. And uh, if you don't remember or if you didn't watch it, Sandra Bullock plays the, the character of Ryan Stone. She's a medical engineer on her first shuttle mission. And I won't go into the details, but this tragic accident um, happens, strands her out in space. And if you saw the movie, you'll know that most of this movie is just her all alone, floating through space, fighting to try to find a way to get back. I mean, she has no way to communicate with Earth and it's really terrifying. When the movie opens, there are these words on the screen. It says, in space, there is nothing to carry sound, no air pressure, no oxygen. And so she's up there all alone. She can't hear anything. There's no sound and there's just silence. And she is feeling as this goes on like she's just part of nothing. And at one point in the movie, she becomes convinced that she's going to die. And she begins speaking on the radio. No one uh, is really able to get back to her and she's just speaking to whoever might hear. She doesn't know if anyone is listening, but she says this. She says, oh, I'm gonna die. We're all gonna die, I know. Everybody knows that, but I'm gonna die today. She thinks about what that means. And she says, nobody will mourn for me. No one will pray for my soul Will you mourn for me? Will you say a prayer for me? Or is it too late? I mean, I'd say one for myself, but I've never prayed in my life, so nobody ever taught me how. Nobody ever taught me how. See, in that that moment, when she thinks that it's all over, she's wondering, is anyone praying for me? Is there anyone out there, anyone up there? She wonders if if anyone cares for her and and I wonder if, if any of you feel like that right now. You know, some of you, your life right now, honestly, it's incredibly hard. Maybe it's been that way for a long time. Maybe, maybe you're wondering, is anyone out there? Is anyone listening to me? Does does anyone hear me? And the ascension, hear me, the ascension teaches us that there is someone. He hears, he listens, he cares, and he is praying for you. He's praying for you. He is interceding for you. He is Jesus, God's son, the Christ, the Messiah, our Lord, our Savior, he is praying for you. There's a great verse earlier in the book of Hebrews, chapter two, verse 11. And we read how when Jesus prays for us, uh, the author tells us Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. And that's an amazing verse. And you know what I'm thinking right now? I'm thinking someone needs to hear that. I know I need to hear it so often. Maybe you need to hear it today. Jesus is not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed to call you brother and sister. And so he presents 
your request before the Father. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. It doesn't matter what those other people in your life who say those things about you, and you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they think. He is not ashamed of you. He advocates for you. Like those Old Testament priests, he he wears you as the jewels in his breastplate, representing you before the Father. He's actually proud of you, and that's an amazing reality. In this series, you know, we've been talking about four things every week that the creed does for us, just making this practical. We've been talking about clarity and balance and counsel and reorientation, and we've been looking at those four things at the end of the message, but today I'm gonna kinda, I'm gonna kinda weave them in as we go, and so I just first wanna say something about clarity. See, the ascension gives us crystal clarity on Jesus' love and Jesus' care for us. See, we already we already know of his love through the cross. I mean, he, he died for our sins. When we were his enemies, he loves us, amen? But the ascension just adds another layer of depth to his love. Jesus, our ascended king, is for us. He ever lives to intercede for us. He will never stop praying for you. And that clarity, I think, leads to, to balance, This truth, when we understand it, kind of balances us out, and especially what I wanna highlight is those of us who who, who struggle with really accepting God's grace and his forgiveness. I want you to look at this next slide. I I wanna ask you the question, when you see this, God is blank and then me, what do you put in that blank? What immediately comes to your mind? Do you think God is disappointed with me. Some of you, and I know this is true, some of you right now are thinking, God is mad at me. He's angry with me. Do you feel like God is impatient with me? Some of you think God's tired of me. (laughs) I mean, he's heard the same stuff so many times, I don't think he wants to hear it again. What, what What do you put in that blank? And I just wanna say to you, it is too often and it is wrong. We we end up living our lives thinking God is disappointed or mad or frustrated, impatient with us. That's how we think of God. That's what we think God is thinking about us right now. But Jesus stands before God as our brother. He's advocating for us. And you need this truth to balance you out if you are living in that space where you're constantly beating yourself up See, in in terms of your spiritual journey and your growth, this should give you great confidence to call out to God anytime, anywhere, for anything because you have a mediator and you have an uh, intercessor who is interceding for you. He's working in heaven for you. He's praying for you. Can we talk? Like, we've all messed up this week, amen? Need to work on our honesty, I can tell. We've all messed up sometime in our life, right? Maybe we lied a little bit this week, I don't know. Maybe we were harsh with our spouse or with our kids. Who grumbled at least one time this week? Be honest about this one, right? But all God's people said, uh, (laughs) you know, maybe you gossiped about your boss this week. 
Maybe you did something way bigger than any of those things and you hope so much that no one ever finds out. The ascension brings things back into balance by reminding you that Jesus is praying for you. He intercedes for you. He's not up there saying, I don't know about this one. We'll see how it goes. He is pleading on your behalf, representing you before the Father. And I wanna tell you, if you will hold on to that and trust in that and believe in that and confess that, you can face any challenge that ever comes your way. Remember what Jesus said to Peter shortly before Peter denied Jesus? It's in Luke 22, it's verse 31. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But then Jesus said, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Let me ask a question. Did Peter's faith fail? Well, yeah, yeah, it did in that moment. But ultimately, when all was said and done, no, it did not, it did not fail. Peter, Peter, just a few weeks after this, he preaches the sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter two. 3,000 people come into God's kingdom. Why? Because Jesus was praying for him. See, Jesus' prayers, uh, Jesus' prayers always get answered because he's the son who speaks to the Father. The Father will never reject any request of the Son. And so let me remind you, you have an advocate, someone who intercedes with you before the Father. That means the ascension is really good news. It really is good news. It means that your faith, your faith is not dependent on your strength, but on Jesus' prayers for you. Robert Murray Machane once said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies, yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. The ascension is good news. Let me give you a second reason why it is good news. The ascension also, it installs Jesus as the Lord of all. It's kind of an interesting thing. If, if you've read ancient history, maybe you've been aware of this, but there's a lot of ascension stories in a lot of different cultures in the world where like human beings were transported up to the world of the gods. And, and what we see is that those stories, well, they become reality in Jesus' ascension because he is in his ascension installed as the king of the universe. Now, if you're thinking about this, it might have occurred to you, maybe something like this. I mean, hasn't Jesus always been the son of God? That's what you told us a few weeks ago. He's the eternally existent son of God. So hasn't he always been king? How can he be installed as king? Well, here's the reality. He's always king as God's son, but now, this is what's new, now he is installed as king as the God-man. You see, he had come down to earth and taken on human flesh. And again, if you don't know this, be reminded of this. Jesus will always have his human body now and forever. He has joined uh, deity with humanity and it always will be so. So he came down and he accomplished all that the father requested of him. And now as the God man, he is enthroned as king, as Lord over all. Jesus is king. We worship Jesus as king. And without the ascension, he would not be fully and finally king. 
I mean, I mentioned earlier that um, there's not that many verses in the New Testament, just really a handful or so that actually narrate, that talk about the ascension and how it happened in Jesus ascending. There's a lot more uh, verses, though, in the New Testament from the Gospels to the book of Acts, through Paul's epistles, Peter's epistles, all the way to the Revelation, where we see uh, different references to the ascension, that it wasn't just a metaphor, that the ascension wasn't just a nice idea, that the ascension actually happened in space and in time. And I, I think part of why we struggle with this whole doctrine is we have a kind of a Western and secular mindset which tends to think only empirically even about something like heaven. So I wanna, I wanna give you some clarity on this. For ancient people, as you're thinking about heaven, this word heaven, it, it meant a number of things. They would use it for the sky, just what we look, say when we look up into the heavens, we're just talking about the sky or the atmosphere. They would also not only use it for the, the spatial realm that we could see, but they would use it for the spiritual realm, the place where God dwells. And maybe this will help some of you. If you ever watched, you know, in the last few years, that, that comedy, The Good Place, maybe you, maybe you will think right now of the IHOP. I know some of you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, don't worry about it. But at the IHOP in the good place, it's like where all these like 10 or whatever dimensions of reality come together. But they had to make, make it look like a regular IHOP for all the human beings there because it was just too overwhelming. And you could maybe say the spiritual realm is like the IHOP. It's a real place. But it's so far beyond the physical reality that, that it's hard for us to comprehend. So the heavens that Jesus went to, they're not less real, they're actually more real, more true. And what he did was he, he took his resurrected body into this spiritual realm with God, where God is, and he is now seated at God's right hand and he's there as the God-man. And that also means, and this is something would be great to explore in your life groups that it also means that human flesh is now forever enthroned in heaven. So God has granted all authority and power to a man. Jesus Christ, he's exercising the dominion over creation that God intended when he created human beings, that he wanted human beings to have from the beginning so Jesus is installed as Lord of all. And with that in mind, let me just read and comment on two important Old Testament texts that describe what happened in the ascension. The first is in Daniel, and it's chapter seven, verses 13 and 14. Um, now, as I mentioned earlier, the passages that speak of the ascension, they don't really describe the theology of it, they just narrate it. Uh, we see that at the end of Luke, the beginning of Acts. But we see some truth about what happened in the ascension, spiritually speaking, in these Old Testament verses. And so this Daniel passage is one of those. Daniel says this, in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. So you remember Jesus calls himself in the gospels the son of man. In other words, one like a son of man. It just means a human being. And so this human being's coming in the clouds of heaven. What happens when, when Jesus ascends? Well, the Clouds of heaven take him away. Daniel says, he approached the ancient of days, that's Yahweh, the Father, and was led into his presence. And notice what he's given in the ascension. He was given authority, glory, 
and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, notice what Daniel is seeing here prophetically. He sees the son of man who is Jesus coming before the father on the clouds of heaven. He's given power and glory and authority, all kingdoms forever and ever. All nations will serve him. And so you just see this beautiful, poetic, prophetic description about ascension and kingship. And I just, it's highlighting this reality. The reason the ascension is good news is because it installs Jesus as king, as Lord over heaven and earth. We also see this in Psalm 110.1, which um, this is a great trivia question. If you ever get this one, I'm just gonna let you in on it now. You may win, you may win one of those trivial pursuit games, but what is the Old Testament verse that's quoted most often in the New Testament? You'd probably guess something out of like Isaiah, you know, or Genesis, but it's actually this verse quoted in the New Testament more often than any other Old Testament verse. And in this verse, it's kind of cool, we're overhearing what the Father says to the Son when the Son, Jesus, ascends. What does it say? It says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Here's what this is telling us. I'm gonna connect some dots here. While the resurrection of Jesus announces that Jesus has defeated death and that he will live forever, That's unbelievably good news. The ascension proclaims that Jesus reigns forever. He he lives forever and he reigns forever. So the ascension is the moment of coronation for the king. Now, if you're still a little foggy on this, I'm gonna hopefully make it really, really simple, okay? And I'm gonna do that by taking you to another movie, Lion King. Will that help? I'm gonna put it right down there, okay? Bottom shelf, we're talking about Lion King. So um, this is like one of my favorite movies of all time, actually. Not ashamed to admit it. It was actually the first movie we took our kids to see. And I have some really vivid memories of what happened during, uh, in the movie theater during that time. Uh, just for the kids around here, sometimes you had to used to go back to like an actual theater to watch movies. Um, they didn't stream on your TV whenever you wanted And so it was a big deal. But there's a couple scenes in The Lion King that illustrate what we're talking about. And maybe you remember this. From the moment the movie begins, Simba, he's marked as heir to the throne, right? Pride Rock. And you remember Rafiki, the the wise old baboon, you know? Remember him lifting him up when he's just a little cub? Rafiki is saying, he's up there on the rock, this is the future king. So, So Simba is designated as the king. And as the movie goes on, the story unfolds and it describes you know, Simba's exile. Um, he has to leave Pride Rock and all his adventures. And then one day, one day he returns and he fights for the throne because the evil scar has taken over Pride Rock. And there's this long battle with all the fire and you know, all that stuff going on. It's great, right? You know, Simba wins. He defeats Scar. But guess what? The story isn't over yet. In the movie, there's this key scene at the end. And you might think that after the battle, everything's done, it's all over, but, but this, the camera pans over to Rafiki again. And it's like you start with the baboon and you end with the baboon. That's how the movie goes. And Rafiki takes that stick and he, he points it up to Pride Rock. 
He's looking at Simba. He's telling Simba, you need to go up there. And, and so there's that, that slow motion scene. It's kind of weird. You know, Simba's climbing into the rain, falling down and all that stuff. And all the animals are bowing down before him. Are you tracking with me on this? Some of you are afraid to know you, to tell me or admit you know what I'm talking about exactly because <laughs> you've watched the movie 50 times. It's okay. Well, it's an important scene. And here's what's happened. He's already won. He's defeated Scar already. But he hasn't yet been installed as king. He must ascend the rock. Ascending the rock is a symbol of the reality of him becoming king over all. And that's how it happened with Jesus. He is designated as the king in his baptism. He conquers as the king in the cross and in the resurrection, but in his ascension, he's installed as the king. And this is really, really good news. Now, it might kind of seem obvious. What's the application of this? It should be something like, well, he's the king, so you should do what the king says. You should be loyal to the king. You, you should swear allegiance to the king. You should give your, your, your life to the king. And those things, all of them, they're so true. But I kind of want to take it a different way. Because even though the Bible tells us and we believe because we confess that the king has been installed, doesn't it sometimes not seem like it? I mean, I could preach all day long, Jesus is the king, he's the king of the universe, and you might ask me, well, what about all the suffering and the sadness? What about all the pain? What about all the violence and the death all around us? Because in some senses, if Jesus is reigning as king, his reign doesn't look really good right now. Maybe you struggle sometimes with reconciling those two realities. I want you to remember Psalm 110.1. What does it say? Look again. It says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. What's the next word? Until, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Until, that's a key word. Sit there until I make your enemies a footstool. And this clues us in to an important reality. He has been installed as the king, but he has not manifested his kingship completely here on this earth yet. And the New Testament teaches this in multiple places. So in one sense, the new creation has come in Christ, but the old creation is still with us. We, we, we live between the times. It's like there's this overlap. He's king, but he hasn't been manifested as king fully on earth. And what that means is this. For us as citizens of this new kingdom, we are here to declare and to enact and to point forward to this new creation reality and to this king who is in one sense hidden you know, we worship a, a hidden king. Where's Jesus? He's up in the heavens. And so his kingship is hidden from being fully manifested to us right now. But we believe that on that last day when he returns, it will be manifested. So the old creation still exists, but Jesus has been installed in anticipation of the new creation. And, and you know what the picture of that coming reality is? What should give us faith? Um, this may confuse some of you at first, but what should give us faith in that coming reality is us. We're the picture 
of the coming kingdom. Right now, it's us, God's people, the followers of Jesus, those who, those who bow the knee before him, those who live every day to bring in this new creation now. And if you know this, I think it, it might help us to do some reorientation. Okay, that's one of our four words, right? Reorientation. For example, we, we talk a lot about sin and salvation, which is really important and good, but, but what is sin? What is salvation? And so many times I think we assume these terms rather than explain them. What do they mean? Well, I'm gonna suggest you reorient your thinking about them. I want to suggest that you put sin under the banner of the old creation and salvation under the banner of the new creation, to like, like put a new lens on it. See, when we sin, we are simply participating in the old creation. But when we live for righteousness, we are shining as lights for the new creation. I'll give you parents a practical example of applying this. Maybe, maybe in parenting, you be, can begin telling your kids uh, that doing what God wants, that obeying him, it's not just the right thing to do. And it is the right thing to do, so they should do it, but it's more. You can begin to tell them that when they obey God, when they follow God, it's a, it's a way of saying yes to this new reality that Jesus is bringing in. It's, it's saying yes day after day to his kingship. And so it's like this, every decision we make, it's like I'm saying, yes, I welcome the new creation that you're bringing, Jesus. Yes, I, I trust that it's good. Same way, disobeying God, giving in to the ways of darkness is a way of bringing in the darkness more. When we do that, it's like we're saying we're okay with the old creation. We want more of that. You can tell your kids, that that's not what you want. You want the new creation under Christ to come. And so you can tell your kids, we're, we're calling you to do these things. And it's not, not just because we have authority and it's not just because he has authority, but it's because he does have authority and he is doing something really good. And we want you, our kids, to be a part of that. And I hope you do too. Maybe you can sum it up like this. Every time we say yes to Jesus, we're saying yes to this new creation and his kingdom. And every time we say no, we're allowing a little bit more of the darkness of the old creation to continue. So Jesus, his ascension is good news because he's our interceding priest. It's good news because it installs him as king and lord over all the universe. And finally, the ascension is good news because it installs Jesus as the just judge. And this is what the creed says, our last line today, from there or from heaven, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Now, there are a lot of passages in the New Testament that talk about the judgment. One of them is 1 Peter 4, 5, says, but they will have to give account to him, Jesus, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And we don't like that, right? We don't like judgment. But here's what I want you to say to see today, and if you've never thought about it, you should write it down and you should meditate on it. The judgment is good news. The judgment is good news. It sounds harsh, it sounds like, like someone is looking for the bad and not the good. It sounds like someone's not giving the benefit of the doubt. It sounds so depersonalized. It doesn't sound like good news, but it really is. 
We, we just need to reorient how we think about it. And so this is more reorientation. Kind of keep the same frame of reference from what I said a few moments ago. And I'll say it like this. Judging is simply the way in which Jesus finally eradicates the old creation completely and finally brings the new creation in fully. Let me say that again. Judging is simply the way in which Jesus finally eradicates the old creation completely and finally brings the new creation in fully. That's the judgment of Christ. He, he establishes finally this new creation by, by getting rid of completely the old creation. He's gonna judge one day and one day he's gonna say, now is the time. Now is the time. Now there will be no more overlap between the two ages. Now is the time for the new creation to come and to come in fullness. And the Bible's so clear on this. We will all fade judgment where, where Jesus will, will evaluate what our actions, what our thoughts, what our words have looked like, what they have sounded like, what they have smelled like. Do they smell and sound and look like the new creation? Or do they look more like the old creation? And in judging us, Jesus will tell us who we are. And out of that, he will show us where we belong. Now, that might scare you. I mean, maybe you're thinking, I don't, I don't know what to do with this idea of judgment. But remember, remember what we've been talking about. Remember, you will be judged by someone who knows you completely and who loves you completely. And who is completely for you completely committed to you. This, this judgment is only frightening if we as the author of Hebrews has put it, have trampled underfoot the Son of God. If we have looked at the cross and we have said, I don't want any part of that man. In fact, I hate him. I, I don't wanna follow him. It's only bad news. If you look at Jesus on the cross and you look at the empty tomb and you look at his ascension and you say, no, because that, would mean you've chosen the old creation and you've rejected the new creation. But you see, on the other hand, if we have clung to his cross, if we have said, I want Jesus, then we should actually want his judgment in our lives. You say, well, why? Why should we want it? Well, it's because it's a cleansing reality. We want him to get rid of all those things that separate us from him, don't you? Don't you want him to take those things away? I mean, if you've followed him for any time and you've seen the struggles that continue in your life and you become more aware of your heart and where your heart goes, even when you don't really want it to, don't you want him to get rid of all that stuff that gets between you and him? Don't you want him to get rid of all that broken stuff in our hearts that causes you and causes the ones you love so much pain? See, that's what judgment does. And so we want his judgment in our life because we want to see him in everything. He's gonna cleanse our eyes. He's gonna cleanse our hearts. We want his judgment because we wanna be burned clean before him. Jesus is the only cure for a broken world and his body was broken for this broken world. And friends, reality is this. Either you will be broken or he will step in and he will take all of your brokenness for you. The good news is 
He's done that. He already has done that. And he offers himself for you and he invites you. He says, come, come. I'm creating a new kingdom, a new reality, a new creation. And I want you to be a part of that. And all you have to do is turn to him and say, yes, yes, yes. I wanna be part of that. And so I'm turning from my sins, that old creation stuff. And I'm turning to you, Jesus. You're, you're the ruler You're bringing in a new creation. I want you. I want you. I um, actually could have included uh, another entire section on why the ascension is good news. There's so much uh, uh, about this in the New Testament, which shows us that unless Jesus ascends, he cannot send the Holy Spirit. And and it's the Holy Spirit who brings all that stuff that I've just been talking about into your life, who makes it a reality. But I thought, you know what, we're gonna be talking next week about the Holy Spirit. So we'll save, we'll save some of that uh, for next Sunday. Uh, come back, okay? So let me conclude. While we might have a, a tendency to overlook the ascension, while it might seem like you know, kind of a bad plan, uh, the implications might be a little unclear, the ascension is a vital part of Christ's work because it shows us, it shows us he's our interceding priest, he's our reigning king, and he is our coming just judge. And in fact, let me just put it this way, without the ascension, Jesus' story is incomplete. It's incomplete. So this is why we, we confess the ascension and why we should not overlook the ascension, the story of his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection, it's not over until he ascends to the Father, until he is enthroned as the king, until he is seated at the right hand of God. And the amazing, the amazing thing that's in the Bible, and this, should just, this next thing should be an entirely different message, but I'm gonna throw it in for free, okay? Uh, it's just mind-blowing. It's in Ephesians 2, four to six. I just wanna like lay this out here and let you think about it. I have to give you this, I can't ignore it. What does Paul say? Look at the screen. It says, but God, be rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Listen to this, verse six. And raised us up with him. Where's Jesus? He's ascended. He's with the Father, at the right hand of the Father in heaven, right? We're with him. Where are you right now? You're like, um, here, in church. Yes, you are, but you're also somewhere else if you are in Christ. Paul says you are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're saying, what? What does that mean? Well, we don't have time to explain it today, so you need to go study for yourself. But it's true, and it's a huge reality If you are connected to the head, Christ is the head, we're his body. If the head is in heaven, the body's there too. And so in a spiritual sense, physically we are here. Spiritually, there's a sense in which we're already in heaven with Jesus. It is this, this kind of down payment on the final reality that is coming one day. In other words, the new creation is already here. The age of, of the new kingdom is dawning. Christ is already working and bringing God's sovereign plan in. One day it's gonna come in completeness. One, one, we used to be dead in our sins, but now we're alive in Christ. 
and God has seated us with him in the heavenly places. And what that means is this, the fight in one way is over. He's been installed and you've been installed along with him. He's done this for you and that's really good news. And so that is the council. Some of you are wondering, when are you gonna say something about the council? I didn't forget. Here's the council. Live like those who already reign in the new creation. Don't wait. Live like it today. The, inter- the, the ascension is good news because we have an interceding high priest, a reigning king, and a just judge who will one day make all things right. Amen. This is God's word for God's people today. Would you bow your heads as we pray?